بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم محمد الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا تھرٹی فسٹ آف جنوری ان دا الحمد للہ وی بگننگ دا سیونتھ ویک دا فورٹی تھرڈ نائٹ that we're going through the exalted and dear life of the eminent companion, Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik, and I spent one or two sessions in which we have been taken a brief into some of his more famous students. We mentioned Thabit al-Munani, rahmatullahi, then we mentioned a brief on uh, Muhammad ibn Sirin, rahmatullahi, and yesterday we mentioned the great Hassan al-Basri, So to mention a few of the reports before moving on. So Hassan al-Basri, rahmatullahi he said, if you see something undesirable in your child, then repent to your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala and return to him. For this is something aimed at you, I through them. Recorded by Hafiz ibn al-Jawzi in his Adab al-Hasan al-Basri was Zuhduhu wa Mawa'idhu, the beacon of Basra, page 59 of the English translation. So what was the great Hassan al-Basri saying here, Rahmatullah He was basically saying that your children are a reflection of you, i.e. the parent. If you see something in them which causes you disturbance, you should repent. You. He goes, because Allah is doing that, He's aiming at you. So this is something again, very hard to comprehend. But, these were the glorious self and they were seen with the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how many times do you notice this? That you get an apparently a decent parent and you get some of the children going wayward. So, It's very important to highlight that maybe this is occurring because of you, the parent. So what will cause your child to come back onto the path? It's your repentance. Look how interesting that is. You have to repent. Allah is doing this and why he does that? Allah knows best. So this is why the Quran mentions in your family there's a fitna. The Quran mentions that. So what is this fitna? So obviously it doesn't mean that you should avoid your family. It means you need to be careful with regards to certain things, with regards to them. For instance, our beloved messenger mentions that children cause you to become cowards. Children cause you to become miserly. Children cause you to become ignorant. So what does that mean? And the meaning is in Ibn Majah, but the report, the meaning uh, it refers to that shaitan uses your children for you to stop giving in sadaqah. He whispers to you, your children need this. The shaitan whispers to you not to go out in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, saying if you die, who's going to look after your children? Nobody will look after the child better than the parent. The shaitan whispers to you not to go and seek out knowledge. Why? Because of your children. So this is the fitna. But it doesn't mean that the children themselves are evil. Mm-hmm. Shaitan is using them. Mm-hmm. So Hassan al-Basri on the same theme, he's mentioning something of the same nature here. If you see something undesirable in your child, repent to your Lord and return to him 
for this is something aimed at you, I through them. And of course, one of the easy ways to reflect here is usually what you did to your parents seems to rebound on you. So when you were young and a bit wild and you might have done something untoward, that usually comes back round upon you. So this is again the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu, his veneration for Hassan al-Basri can be gauged from the following. In the latter part of Anas's life radiyallahu, whenever any person would ask him for any ruling, he would send them to Hassan al-Basri and he would say, we heard and he heard, he remembers we have forgotten. Subhanallah. This is recorded by Qadi Athar Mubarak Puri in his Khairul Qurun. So look how interesting. Anas radiallahu would tell people to get rulings from Hassan al-Basri. So there was strange about that. He's a companion. Hassan al-Basri is a tabi'in. The second thing, which is even more strange, we heard, he heard. But there's a huge difference. The companions heard direct. Hassan al-Basri didn't hear direct. But then he says, he remembers we have forgotten. So what was he very simply and beautifully highlighting? He was highlighting that go to Hassan al-Basri. He goes, he will guide you. So that is a testification to his high level of piety as well. Because Anas would never allow anybody to go to anyone unless the person was very close to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the great Hassan al-Basri, after living a most exemplary life, he passed away to glory in the year 110 A.H. Thus, he was around the age of 90 years at the time. And he passed away 20 years after Sayyidina Anas. So he himself lived on for a very long time. 90 years is more than average. And he lived 20 years after Anas. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon all the majestic students of the exalted companions of our beloved Messenger and forgive us all for their honorable sake. Amen. So it's important that we become acquainted with some of the students. So I mentioned three of the more famous ones. The next section entitled, During the Two Glorious Sheikhs Era, Sayyidina Anas he was around 20 years of age upon our beloved Messenger tragic passing and there upon Abu Bakr's succession. In summary, Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani said of him in Al-Isab, Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu stayed in Al-Madina after the passing of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi He then participated in the conquests. He later settled in Basra where he finally passed away. So Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani, he wrote a very famous work called Al-Isab, where he talks about the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And he goes, he stayed in Al-Madina. But after Rasulullah left the world, وسلم, he was wholeheartedly participating in jihad. Later, he moved to Basra. And there's a reason he moved there. He wasn't just for the sake of it. And he goes, he passed away there. He participated wholeheartedly during the apostasy wars. The daughter of Thabit ibn Qais ibn Shammas, she said, when the Muslim army clashed with Musaylimah, and the Banu Hanifa tribe, the Muslims suffered three setbacks. Mm. This is in Tabarani, Baghubi, Al-Isaba, volume 1, page 196, Al-Istiyab, volume 1, page 194, 
Al Hirtami in Majma Az Zawaid Volume 9, page 322, comments upon the chain of narrators. Ayada Sahaba, Volume 2, page 252 of the New English Translation. So, who's Thabit ibn Qais ibn Shamas? He was one of the great companions of the Prophet who was later martyred in the Battle of Yamab. His daughter said that during the clash against the false Prophet, there was three setbacks the Muslims faced. Anas related, when the people scattered on the day of Yamama, I said to Thabit ibn Qais, Oh my uncle, do you not see what is happening? I noticed he was rubbing perfume on his clothing. He replied, We did not fight with Rasulullah in this way. What bad habits you have accustomed your counterparts to? Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I absolve myself from that which the people have brought. He then fought until he was martyred. This is in Tabarani, Hakim in his Mustadrak, volume 3, page 235. Al-Isaba, volume 1, page 195. Al-Hatami in Majma al-Zawaid, volume 9, page 323, states Hassan. Ayad al-Sahaba, volume 2, page 255 of the New English Translation. So what does it clearly mention in this authentic report? Who is Anas talking to? Thabit. So if you got any understanding, what does that tell you? He's on the battlefield. <laughs> right? He's fighting. But he sees a setback. What's strange? That was strange for the Sahab. Because they were always victorious. So they th- so he went to Thabit. He goes, uncle, what's happening? So what was Thabit doing? <laughs> if you think about it, what a strange thing to do during a battle. He's praying Atarun. Atarun is for Salat and getting married. You know, he's doing it in Jihad. And then he goes, these are bad habits. He goes, people have picked up bad habits. He goes, oh my Lord, I've got nothing to do with this. And then he got martyred. So why was he putting Atar on? Because he was ready to leave the world to be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In another report, Thabit radiallahu said, shame on those people, I the enemy, and whatever they worship. Similarly, shame on these people, the Muslims, for what they have done. Thabit then killed a man standing on a depression of a wall of the orchard they were using as a fortress. Thabit was then martyred. This is in Behaki, volume 9, page 44. Ibn Sa'ad in Istabakat, Fatwa al-Badi, volume 6, page 405. Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 2, page 255 to 6 of the New English Translation. So what happened? So it's the orchard of death. And he blames, he goes, shame on the, those apostates and shame on us for what's happened. And then he saw a man and he actually killed a man. This was the last person he killed. After that, he was martyred, meaning he launched into the enemies. His martyrdom was prophesied. Our beloved Messenger mentioned that this noble man would ultimately fall as a martyr when he said to him face to face, you will live a praiseworthy life. You will be killed as a martyr and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall enter you into paradise. Subhanallah. This is in Tabarani. Hakim in his Mustadrak, volume 3, page 235, Sahih, Zahabi, Sahih. Al-Hatami in Majma Az-Zawaid, volume 9, page 322, comments upon the chair of narrators. Ayyad al-Sahaba, volume 3, page 429 of the New English Translation. So again, another miracle. Every time the Prophet speaks of the future, we just take it for granted it's going to happen. So what did he say about Thabit? Because you will live a praiseworthy life, meaning you need to study his life. People read biographies of God knows who. And then the end of it, where is he going? You know, think about that. I read a biography of him and him. Where is he now? He's dead, right? 
Did he live a praiseworthy life? No, then why is to be his life for? So what did the Prophet say about Thabit? You will live a praiseworthy life. So study his life. Secondly, you will be martyred. Didn't he get martyred? And thirdly, you will end up paradise. So now what's the context of this? I summarized it. Thabit ibn Qais, he was called Khatibun Nabi. So even in Urdu and Pashto and many languages, what does Khatib mean? You must know what Khatib means. It's not even my language, right? Khatib means the one who, who, who sermonizes, the sermon, who gives a sermon. Right? SubhanAllah. Right? In Al-Bidayah, Hafiz ibn Katir said, Thabit was called Khatib al-Nabi. So what does that mean? The spokesman of Rasulullah. So think about that. Look at his title. If somebody goes, who is he a spokesman of? The house of lords. Right? Who is he the spokesman of? He goes, the house of this. Right? He goes, who is he the spokesman of? Rasulullah. Then you think, I want to know who this person is. So Hafiz Ibn Katir goes, he is the spokesman of Rasulullah. Why? He was very eloquent. He had a very powerful voice. So what happened? Allah the Almighty and Glorious, he revealed the verse. In Surah Hujarat, where he says, O you who believe, do not raise your voice above the Prophet, lest your deeds come to nothing and you are unaware. So Thabit ibn Qais, he went into depression. He fell into a serious depression. Because it's me. Allah has condemned me because my voice oh, you know, seems to overlap Rasulullah. So he went into his house, shut, shut, shut up shop, depressed. So Rasulullah, he keeps a close count of the companions. He notices that Thabit's missing. So he goes to Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad. Radiyallahu. He goes, where Thabit? So Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad goes, I think he's ill, Ya Rasulullah. I will go and check. So when he went, he called. And when he came in, Thabit was shaking. And he goes, what's the matter, Thabit? And Thabit goes, Allah has revealed a verse. And he goes, do not raise your voice above the Prophet lest you lose your deeds. He goes, that's me. Allah is talking about me. So Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad, he goes, I will go to the Prophet to see whether this is correct. So he returns to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And the Prophet smiles. He goes, no, it's not about him. Thabit will live a praiseworthy life. He will be killed as a martyr and Allah will enter him into paradise. Because he's got nothing to worry about. Now what's interesting about the Sahab, notice how they considered any failing to be their own. Think about that. You know, there's something interesting about that. Normally when you see a failing, you like to push it onto somebody else. They considered themselves to be at fault. What else do you know about Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiyallahu relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what an excellent man is Abu Bakr radiyallahu. What an excellent man is Umar radiyallahu. What an excellent man is Abu Ubaidah radiyallahu. What an excellent man is Usaid ibn Hudair radiyallahu. What an excellent man is Thabit ibn Qais ibn Shimas radiyallahu. What an excellent man is Mu'ad ibn Amr ibn al-Jamuh radiyallahu. What an excellent man is Mu'ad ibn Jabal radiyallahu. This is in Nasa'i, Tirmidhi number 4064, Ibn Hibani is Sahih, Hakim in his Mustadrak Sahih, 
Bukhari is Allah double Mufrad, number 338, and Shaykh al-Bayn Rahmatullahi states Sahih. So, the same expression he used for all of the companions. Was Abu Bakr an excellent man? If you don't know that, go and join your brothers in Iran. Right? Was Umar an excellent man? If you don't know that, go and join your brothers in Iran. Was Abu Ubaid an excellent man? If you don't know that, go and join your brothers in Iran. And that's why they're becoming the way they are, because they don't know who these people are. But then, of course, there were some other names he mentioned. And to be honest, most of us haven't got a clue. I don't want to put you on the spot, but when I mentioned some of the names, I saw the glazed looks. So what did the Prophet said say? What an excellent man is Usaid ibn Hudayr. Could any of you mention anything about this Sahab? Uh, one of the chiefs of uh, the Ansar tribe. MashaAllah, very good. So he's one of the chiefs of the Ansar. He was that great companion who actually saw the angels when he was reciting the Quran. The hadith is in the Sahih. He's on a, I think he was a camel or a beast of burden. He's got his son with him and he's reciting. And all of a sudden he sees lanterns. And he goes, what, what's this? And he starts reciting more and then his beast of burden starts getting agitated. So he stops. He goes the next day. He goes, Ya Rasulullah, something strange happened last night. So the Lord is saying, what happened? So I was reciting the Quran and then I saw these lights. And then he goes, for fear that my son might get harmed, I stopped reciting. And the Prophet said, they were the angels. They were coming near to your disciple. If you had continued, they would not have hidden themselves. You would have seen them clearly during the day. So this is the hadith. So who is it? Usaid. So he had a beautiful recital as well. Now what's interesting, Imam Naw, we said about that hadith, Rahmatullah in Sharh Sayyid Muslim, this is the excellence of the Quran. It attracts the angels. So look how interesting, you know, they take lessons from it. What was attracting the angels? And what was exposing them? If you keep reciting the Quran, angels start exposing themselves. First they come near, then what happens? They start coming into an image where you can see them. This is why if you notice the great ones, they see the angels. Why? Because they need a lot of the Quran. Then the Prophet said, What an excellent man is Thabit ibn Qais ibn Shemas. I just mentioned it. So notice the Prophet is telling you these are all excellent men. Learn about their lives. What an excellent man is Mu'ad ibn Amr ibn al-Jamuh. So Mu'ad ibn Amr ibn al-Jamuh. There were many Mu'ads. His father was an idol worshiper, Amr ibn al-Jamuh. And his son Mu'ad, he would take his idol and put it into a cesspit. And then the father goes, who's done this? I'm going to sort him out. Then he gets his idol, he cleans it, puts it back. And he goes, you know, he goes, forgive me. He goes, oh God. He goes, somebody threw you into the cesspit, right? So then the son, laughing his head off, right? Next day, he does it again. Throws it into some, you know, dump. Father goes, oh, where is my God? Hey, he goes, go and look for it in the cesspit. Found it, cleans it. Then he puts a little sword around it. He goes, defend yourself. So then the son gets it again. This time he puts it where women drop their rags. So he thinking, oh my God, what is, he looked at it and he saw a dog urinating, urinating on it as well. And then he goes, what is this I'm worshipping? And then he embraces Islam and then his son comes and he goes, Father, mashallah, he goes, Allah, Allah has opened your heart to Islam. So his son was the cause of his embracing Islam. Mu'ad ibn Amr, he was a Badr, he fought in Badr. And his father, Amr ibn al-Jamu, because of his age, he couldn't participate. He had a limp. 
And he actually <coughs> said to the Prophet ﷺ in the Ba'al of Uhud, Ya Rasulullah, please allow me to fight. Because you're aged and you, you've got an excuse. He goes, no, no, he goes, I'm ready to go. Mm. So the Prophet ﷺ told his sons, let him go if he wishes. So he fought in the Battle of Uhud, he was martyred, Ahmad ibn al-Jammur. And the Prophet said, I've seen him running in paradise. He's testing his legs out. <laughs> right? So that's the father. So note, the Prophet said, what an excellent man is Mu'ad, the son of Ahmad ibn al-Jammur. Then he mentioned, what an excellent man is Mu'ad ibn Jabal. The Prophet said that the most learned of the halal and the haram is Mu'ad ibn Jabal. Tirmidhi Hassan Sahih, meaning he was an excellent scholar. He'll be a stone's throw ahead of the scholars on the Day of Judgment. The Prophet said in Imam Ahmad's Musnad, what an excellent man, he was also martyred by the plague of Amwas. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with Sayyidina Thabit ibn Iqais and forgive us all for his honorable sake. And also there's an amusing report about him. There was another companion and he was the poet of the Prophet Hassan and people get him confused with Thabit because Thabit was the khatib, the spokesman but Hassan was the kind of a poet and he do poetry in the masjid so Umar was glaring at him just staring at him so Hassan Ibn Thabit you know he was about at the time he was about 90 years old he looks at Umar and he realizes Umar is not going to take prisoners. So he goes to Abu Huraira. He says, what did you hear about me? So he drags Abu Huraira into it. So Abu Huraira thinking, you know what? And then he goes, what did you hear about me? So Abu Huraira then looks at Umar. Umar is looking at Abu Huraira. So Abu Huraira, I've heard the Prophet make a dua. He goes, oh my Lord, help Hassan with Ruhul Qudus. As long as he is aiding your deen. Meaning, Jibreel is with him as long as he's using his auditory for the deen. So Umar who listens to the hadith, he's still, he's still glaring at Thabit. So then he's, Thabit then says, Amir al-Mu'mineen, he goes, am I doing anything wrong by doing poetry in the masjid? So Umar who said, I'll build a platform for you outside. Go outside and do it. So what's interesting, he didn't forbid him. But he says, go outside. <laughs> Why? Because you're disturbing. <laughs> Maybe you're disturbing people who are reading Quran, offering Salat, etc., etc. So, he is Hassan ibn Thabit. And look how interesting, all of the spokesmen and the auditors of the Prophet who was around them, the angels, alayhi salatu wasalam. And Lord Abu Huraira came to his defense, So going back to the battle of Yamama, the valiant efforts during this campaign of Anas's noble brother, Bara ibn Malik have already been mentioned. So now what's happened? Bara ibn al-Malik, which I mentioned, I don't know how many moons ago, they had to get into the fortress of death. So he goes, I've got a plan. So his plan was just throw him in. So he got thrown in, they thought he's going to die. He not only manages to take out some of the warriors within, he opens the gate. So his back's turned to the enemy, meaning he's a sitting duck. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, the Mujahideen entered and then the battle turned and Musaylimu was soon killed. The reports mentioned that Bara ibn al-Malik was very, very seriously wounded. Yeah. And Khalid bin Walid looked after him for a month, personally. Yeah. So that was Anas's brother. 
So notice Anas, he is around 20 years old, 21 years old. He's around the great companions of the Prophet and he's mentioning these incidents to highlight, look, and what's beautiful about his reports, he doesn't mention anything about himself. So don't get this impression, he's just making numbers up. So somebody goes, well, if he's mentioning Bara and he's mentioning Thabit ibn Iqais ibn Shabbas, he's mentioning this and that, why isn't he mentioning anything about himself? And the response is, they hide their deeds. So they got interesting. They don't blow their own trumpet, but he's praising others. So obviously he was fighting bravely as well during the encounters, during the apostasy wars. During Abu Bakr Siddiq Anas was one of those fortunate mujahids under the command of the majestic Sayyidina Al-Ala ibn Hadrami. So now, this is an amazing report. So we'll start it today, but we'll probably spend a few sessions on it. But the reference for it is Abu Ya'la in his Musnad, number 5491 or 3-120, Behaki in his Dala'il Nubu'a, number 416, Ibn Abi Dunya, Abu Nu'im in his Dala'il Nubu'a, page 224, Al-Bidaya, volume 6, page 155, page 292, Hayat al-Sahab, volume 5, page 523 to 4, page 533, page 533, page 532 to 3 of the New English Translation. Anas, he relates, I witnessed three things, which if they were in the Bani Israel, then the nations would not have shared with them their virtue. So he sets the stage, Anas. What does he say? He goes, I saw three things. And he goes, if the Bani Israel had them, because you couldn't challenge them. We asked eagerly, what were those three things, O Abu Hamza? <coughs> he clarified. The first, we were at Sufa with Rasulullah when a migrating aged woman came to him with a son of hers who had reached the age of adolescence. The woman was Ummu Sa'ib, she was an extremely old and blind lady. He grouped the woman with the women and grouped her son with us. So he's mentioning the first incident and he goes, there's a very old woman came, Umm Sa'ib, old and blind, meaning she did hijrah in that state, imagine. <laughs> You know, imagine the state she was in the hijrah to the Prophet and the Prophet said, the women look after the women, the men will look after the youngster. It wasn't long before the son was afflicted with the harsh conditions of Al-Madina and thus became ill for days on end and then he died. So this is the early period. When the Prophet came, everybody got ill. The only person who didn't get ill was Rasulullah. That's very interesting. Bukhari hadith. Abu Bakr falls seriously ill. Bilal with his strength falls ill. Aisha loses her hair. Um Sa'ib's son, young, fit, adolescent. He's taken out. A few days, ill, he's gone. The Prophet covered him and ordered he be prepared for the funeral prayer. He then said, when we wanted to do ghusl, or Anas, go to his mother and inform her. So Anas is a teenager. How old is he? Maybe about the time. 12, 13. What a responsibility. You want me to tell the mother who's old and blind that the sons died? He didn't say that. He just thought, I'm going. When I went to her and informed her, 
she came and sat at her son's feet. And she said in grief, O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I submitted myself to you voluntarily and I turned against the idols from abstinence and migrated to you out of desire. O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do not now cause the idol worshippers to become delighted with my affliction and do not burden me with this calamity that I cannot bear. So she's grieving. Didn't you expect it? She's old, she's blind, she's thinking, I thought I was going to die first. Allah took, and then she's saying, this will cause the kuffar to rejoice. And I can't bear this, Ya Allah, and she's grieving from her heart. Then Anas said, Radiyallahu, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, she had not even finished her words before her son started to move his feet and threw the sheet from his face because he became alive. He then lived on till Allah the Almighty had taken his messenger and also his mother. So he outlived him. Anas goes, that's the first amazing thing I saw. So he saw literally a dead person coming back to life. So what did he say? He goes, I've seen three things. He goes, mind-boggling. This is one of them. So now just to add a few things here, we told wrapping up. Why is it interesting that the son died first? There's another report. The report is in Tabarani. And he mentions that there was a, a youngster and he had both his parents and they were crippled in al Madina. And what he used to do was he used to look after them, feed them, wash them, clothe them. And then he would carry them and leave them respectfully in Masjid al-Nabi. Mm-hmm. And then he would go to work and he'd come back and look after them. So the people were looking at this youngster thinking, SubhanAllah, you know, he's, you know, what, he's, he's secured his place in paradise. What happened? The youngster dies. So the Sahaba, you know, looking at each other thinking, oh my goodness, what's happened? He goes, the crippled parents. So when the Prophet hears the commotion, he then says, death doesn't look at circumstance. In other words, you think that Allah is going to go by your schedule. So what's interesting, people think naturally, you know, imagine he's looking after, that's what the Sahaba thought. They're coming to the end of their lives. The sun securing his place in paradise. Did they for one instant think he's going to die first? And would you think that? You think Allah wouldn't do that? He wouldn't put the parents to that? What was he going to do with you? The lesson there is we need to be ready for death. Here the same thing happened. Imagine the old blind woman. And look at the struggle she must have gone to get to the Prophet. The son was probably thinking, may Allah bless my mother. Look, she's going through the end of her life. Did they for one minute think the son's going to die? And when he did die, what happened? Allah was now highlighting something about the mothers. First of all, your mother isn't like this mother. Don't compare, right? Why? She's Sahabi and she did Hijrah and she was old and blind, right? So don't start saying mother's du'as. Mother's du'as are powerful, but not compared to this woman. So if your mother makes a du'a that you come back to life, it might happen. But tell me, where does that happen? The second thing is, she made a du'a, but did she ask for her son to come back? 
If you look at the wording, she didn't ask. All she said was, I've done this out of my desire to be with your messenger. Don't cause the idol worshippers to taunt me and don't burden me with more than I can bear. Look at her sublime way she's asking. And what happened? Allah Ta'ala caused the son to come to life. Imagine he tasted death, he comes back alive, and then he lives on, his mother passes away. Rasulullah leaves the world and he's still alive. And Anas said one report, he goes, he lived on for a long time. Whether you love He goes, this was the first amazing thing. He goes, that I saw Ibn Taymiyyah said about this hadith. He said, Sayyid hadith. He goes, this is a, a, undoubtedly this happened. Then he went on to mention the second and third, which I'll mention, inshallah, tomorrow, if we're still alive. So all I mentioned today was basically now the blessed name of Anas, during the era of the Khilaf al-Rashidin, i.e. Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, and Hassan, and the beautiful way to remember this is, 20 years he was with the Prophet, 30 years he was with the Khilaf al-Rashidin, and what does that make? 50. So exactly half his life, that was the best portion of his life, Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Khilaf al-Rashidin. Then he had 50 years after that. So Allah Ta'ala beautifully put his life into two components. The best of his life and then of course the time where Fitna and Fasad was going to kick in. Are there any questions you let us? Subhanallah <laughs> <laughs>